0: Amen, amen. I would ask that you would stand with me or remain standing for the reading of the word this morning. This is from Acts chapter 7, beginning in verse 54. It says, Now when he heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said these things, he fell asleep, and Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your word. Lord God, we thank you today for the example of a, of a young man who was willing to stand for you even when it cost him everything. And so we pray in this moment, Holy Spirit, that you would do something, Lord God, that you would do something to, to change us, to Lord, to stir something in us that would awaken us to the reality of the battle that's before us. Lord God, and may we know today that we're not alone in the battle. Lord God, you go before us and behind us, you equip us. And so we thank you, Lord, that as we look at your word today, we can look at it with great expectation, Lord God, believing that you desire to speak to your people. We thank you for this time. We thank you that we can gather like this, and we thank you for your presence. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Praise God you may be seated. Man, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Are you thankful for young people taking that step of baptism? Come on. Praise God that they would stand up and say, you know, Jesus is my Lord. Well, last week we spent some time, I hope you remember, looking at the sermon of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. And we talked about that sermon, one of the, the, the longest sermon in the book of Acts. And we talked about how it was a response by Stephen to some accusations that came against him. He was accused by the religious leaders in his day of blaspheming against God, against Moses, against the law, and against the temple. And the question is here's the question was there any truth to those accusations? Was Peter preaching? Uh, was Stephen preaching against the temple? Well, I think he may have shared how Jesus said that the temple would be destroyed. I, I think he may have, have shared how Jesus had changed the emphasis on the commandments that were given in the law of Moses. We know that Jesus did prophesy the destruction of the temple within a generation, right? But he never said that he would do it. And And as we're going to see the early church is going to soon tell Gentile converts that they don't have to keep the dietary and worship laws that were given to the Jews. Jesus himself had preached against some of the oral traditions that the Jews believed to be as sacred as the law. And I guess the real question for the Jews of that time was whether the prophecies predicted that Messiah, when he came, would do these things. Well, Scripture teaches us in Daniel chapter 9 that After Messiah comes, the temple would be destroyed. Some Jews believe that when the Messiah did come, that he would give them one supreme command that would be greater than all of the others. It's amazing because that's what Jesus did, didn't he, right? When he he said that the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and with all your soul and with all your strength. When you think about it, as these accusations came Stephen's way, he could have said, hold on a minute, let me explain, let me give you a little context to what I'm sharing, right? But but these false witnesses had already twisted Stephen's words. And and I think this, that being full of the Holy Spirit, that Stephen, Stephen discerned that they would not listen to him. And so instead of spending his time focused on all of these matters, his real intention is to show them the hardness of their hearts. And that's exactly what he does. You remember last week, he wraps up his sermon. This is his closing of his sermon, verse 51, by saying, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, right? And so we talked last week, we don't want to be stiff-necked. We don't want to be hard of heart, amen? We don't want to resist the Holy Spirit when he speaks. But Stephen says, as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. Stephen's telling these religious rulers, man, it's happening all over again. You're acting just like your forefathers. But really, they had done something even worse than their forefathers did, right? They had killed the long-awaited Messiah, the righteous one whom the prophet Isaiah had predicted. When the council heard Stephen's words in that moment, when they had a, they had a choice, right? As they heard this sermon, as they heard this, this, uh, this, this conviction, if you will, they could either consider the truth of what he was saying and they could repent, or they could act according to the very nature that Stephen had just described. And without hesitation, they chose the latter. It was the same nature in them that had led them to crucify Jesus. They gnashed at him with their teeth, meaning they ground their teeth together, and as they did that, there was a hissing sound coming out of their mouth. Can you imagine this? It's not a pretty picture, is it, right? But in comparison... The face of Stephen is radiant. The face of Stephen is is full of peace and it's full of joy. He gazes into heaven and he sees the very glory of God. Stephen's face was not set against the faces of the Sanhedrin. Rather, it was set toward the face of Jesus. And so Stephen's face was shining because he never took his eyes off of his Savior. In John chapter 15, verse 20, Jesus had warned his disciples that the world would treat them like he treated him, right? And we need to realize, church, that the hatred against believers, Christians, even still today, is because there is a spiritual war that is taking place. And in this war, in this battle, there are only two sides. People are either for Jesus or they are against him. Matthew 12, verse 30, Jesus said it clearly, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. People are either for Jesus or they're against him, and and when I say that in our present culture, I need to be clear, I'm speaking of a biblical Jesus, okay? Because there are a lot of people who say, I believe in Jesus, but they deny that the word of God is an accurate account of his life, okay? Okay? And and many who say that, well, I believe in Jesus. He was a good man. They won't find disagreement with the world. But if you take a stand for the biblical Jesus, there is this animosity that you will find, I think, against no other religion except possibly Judaism. Why is that? Is it simply because of the exclusivity of Christianity that Christians are persecuted? Is, Is it because we say, well, Jesus is the only way? Well, truthfully, most major religions claim to have an exclusive hold on truth, and so I don't think that's the reason. If the persecution that we experience as believers in Jesus Christ is not based on exclusivity, and we are following the command to love our neighbor as ourselves, then the only answer to the animosity that we face is the spiritual battle that is taking place over the souls of men and women. Remember, Ephesians 6.12 tells us we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, right? But we wrestle against authorities and against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Do you know it's estimated today that 75% of of the world's Christian population lives under some type of religious restrictions, more than 215 million Christians in over 50 countries live under a daily threat of extreme persecution. And many of these men and women, our brothers and sisters in the Lord, will join the hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of Christian martyrs that began with this man, Stephen. As the council began to rage against Stephen, he, they, they must have known that, that, that he, would, he would stand, right? And, and he would continue to stand before his Savior. But look at verse 55. It says, but he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I love that. How, how much of the Holy Spirit? He's full of the Holy Spirit. He gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and he saw Jesus standing At the right hand of God. The word of God tells us that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God until his enemies are made his footstools, right? However, I believe that there are times when Jesus stands. I believe he stands for those who give their lives for him. In this moment, God gives Stephen a vision of where he's headed. Into the presence of the glory of God. And and, and so there's this abundance in this moment, this abundance of of supernatural grace that comes upon Stephen in order to endure what is about to happen to him. And I think that, that Stephen's so overwhelmed by what he sees that he can't help but share it, right? He says, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, given the context, given his audience, this probably wasn't the wisest thing to do. But, but sometimes you're so overwhelmed with the love of God, amen, and, and the presence of God that you just can't keep quiet. And so Stephen's declaration of, of seeing Jesus only made the council rage even more. It confirmed what Jesus had said when he, when he stated that he must be crucified. He said that he would be seated at the right hand of God in power. But now here are these religious rulers trying to hang on to their power. Here's this religious council And they can't stand the thought that a carpenter from Nazareth is now sitting in that place where he's in control of the universe. Verse 57, but they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and they rushed together at him. In this moment, this crowd becomes completely unhinged. This isn't Stephen, you know, Stephen, we we just have a difference of interpretation of things. Let's just talk about this, Stephen, right? You just need to quiet down a little bit. No, this is rage. At at this point, this is bloodlust. They want him dead. And so the rage of of the Sanhedrin had been pent up for so long. After repeated trials and confrontations with these followers of Jesus, they're, they're realizing, man, these people won't be quiet. They they just won't stop speaking the name of Jesus. We threaten them, it doesn't work. We lock them up, they miraculously are set free, right? We beat them severely, but these followers of Jesus just won't stop, and they could no longer contain their anger. It was as if someone had prearranged a signal, and they all rushed at Stephen. Understand, this was mob violence, And I believe it was instigated and manipulated by an expert of the law named Saul. Notice that they cry out with a loud voice and they stop their ears. Can you picture that for a moment? Just think about that. They're screaming with their hands over their ears The reality is that when truth is proclaimed boldly, those who have hardened their hearts will do anything they can do to get away from that truth, right? And so when we speak truth, when we share the gospel and we encounter resistance, we need to pray and we need to ask the Holy Spirit to to bring conviction, amen, to soften the heart, to, to break through that spiritual defiance. Verse 58 says, then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, stoning wasn't just picking up some small rocks and throwing them at Stephen. In that time, what they would usually do is they would throw them off a high wall. And when they would hit the ground, they would take a large rock and throw that rock, repeatedly rocks, at their chest until the individual would die. And truth be told, this council did not have the legal right under Rome to stone Stephen. Stephen. They did not have this kind of power under the law, but they're in such a rage that they don't care about the law. They're in such a rage that they risk the consequences of going against the law, and they begin to stone Stephen. And as they do this, as they begin to take action like this, their cloaks would have gotten them in the way from throwing those rocks, and so they took off their cloaks and they handed them to Saul to watch over them. Saul seems to be the mastermind behind this, but yet he manages to not get blood on his own clothes. This is really our first introduction to Saul, who later became Paul. Remember, we talked a few weeks ago about how Saul was a disciple of Gamaliel, right? He was an up-and-coming Jewish leader, and he stood by that day, giving his approval to this stoning because he wanted to see what he believed was a distortion of the faith. He wanted to see it completely wiped out. He was... Without a doubt, one of those who stopped their ears as the crowd ran at Stephen. But I'm certain that what happened next never left the mind and the conscience of Saul. In fact, he says later on in in Acts 22, verse 20, Paul says this, right? And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. He says, I was there. I gave my approval to that murder, but he certainly thought that he was justified in doing so. Look at verse 59. It says, and as they were stoning Stephen, he cried out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen clearly followed the Lord's example, right? He forgave the men who were putting him to death and then he committed his spirit into the hands of Jesus. Can I just say this? Forgiveness is a powerful witness. (laughs) Like true forgiveness is a powerful witness. This religious council was supposedly representing the God whose most commonly mentioned attribute is love, and yet they're filled with rage and they're hurling rocks at Stephen. This man of God is being executed for supposed blasphemy, and yet he's asking God to forgive the men who are putting him to death. Remember verse 55 says that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. Hear me, church. When we are full of the Holy Spirit, when we're full of the Spirit of God, we forgive others because we realize that we have been forgiven by the grace and mercy of God. And we have been forgiven a much greater debt than those who have offended us or or wounded us. Jesus told a parable in Matthew 18 of a man who owed a, a large amount of money It was so much that it was impossible to ever pay back, and his master forgave him that huge debt. But when the debtor saw a man who owed him a small sum of money, he had that guy thrown in prison until he could pay it back. Now, when the master heard about what the debtor had done, he decided he should not forgive this man after all, and he did to him what had been done to the poor man. The word of God makes it clear that we reap what we sow. And so really forgiveness, understand this, forgiveness frees us from receiving what we deserve. It it frees us up instead to receive the mercy of the one to whom we owe a much greater debt to. But the other result of the fullness of the Holy Spirit that we see in Stephen is that he trusted God with his spirit. Listen, if Jesus is our Lord, we do not need to fear death. We don't. If Jesus is truly the Lord of our lives, we don't need to fear death. When we understand that the Lord is our keeper, when we understand that he guards our lives, and so when it comes our time, whatever time that is, to leave this world and go into our eternal home, like Stephen does in this passage, we can commit our spirits into his hands. Stephen was full of the Spirit of God, but Scripture also says he was full of faith. You know, there are those who teach that if you just have enough faith that nothing bad will ever happen in life. If you you just have enough faith, you're only going to experience prosperity and only physical blessing, just enough faith. But here is Stephen, and the word of God tells us that he's full of faith, which makes me think there's no more room for more faith, right? He He is full of faith, and yet he still faces death. And it almost seems like the worst kind of death, death by stoning. But as you read this story, you can begin to ask this question. Again, we're following the movement of the church. We're following the church as they respond to the Great Commission. But you, you can read this story, you can ask the question, man, what was the fruit of the death of Stephen? I'm sure this raised some, some very profound questions for the early church. I mean, we had been, they had been tortured before, they had been imprisoned before, but now, this could cost us our lives. What, what is what's the Lord doing, right? How could he allow this to happen to someone as faithful as Stephen? Everybody knew Stephen. Stephen was faithful. Like, why didn't God stop this? Stephen was really at the height of his power as, as a witness. Why would God allow such a bright light to be snuffed out? We have all asked these questions, haven't we, about tragedies in our lives? We've all asked these questions about unexplained events. And the questions about Stephen can be answered only by reflection of history. The Lord wasn't finished yet. Through Stephen's death, the Christians were scattered. They were scattered from Jerusalem and their faith went with them. They, they were to be a part of a, a worldwide movement. And, it, and the truth is they never would have left Jerusalem without the persecution and, and the punishment that was inflicted on them. And and so the death of Stephen, as as tragic it is, all of a sudden it ignites a flame in the church, right? It ignites a flame in the church, but it also ignited a flame of hatred against the followers of Jesus Christ. There's this explosion of anger, so much so that they need to leave Jerusalem. Only the apostles stay behind. And through their dispersion, through their, their leaving to surrounding regions, they begin to plant the seed that would germinate until it was ready to sprout into churches throughout the known world. But don't forget that day. There wasn't just Stephen there. There was another young man that was there that day. And I know what took place had to play on the conscience of Saul. Again, he says it later on. He remembers, I was there. I signed off on this. I thought it was right. At the conversion On the road to Damascus, we're going to read that story very soon. Saul asked the question, he says, who are you, Lord? And and the voice comes from heaven, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Understand, Stephen was a member of the body of Christ. Jesus told Ananias in Acts chapter 9 that he would show Saul how many things he must suffer for his namesake. And, and Saul stood there and he, again, he approved of Stephen's execution. Listen, this is what it says. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. This is the moment right here that we're reading where the tide turned against the followers of Jesus. It is severe persecution that forces them to obey the Great Commission. We see here the determination of Saul. Man, he's gonna, he's gonna stop the spread of the Jesus movement, but what he does, the action that he takes actually causes the gospel to spread. I have no doubt about this, that, that Paul, he's sincere, but he was sincerely wrong, right? And after his conversion, he's gonna confess that what he did in this moment, he did in ignorance. But I want you to understand today, church, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3.12, it says, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In other words, in one way or another, standing for Christ will incite the enemy to oppose us. And it may seem unreasonable, it may seem unfair that that takes place, that's because it is, but when persecution comes, Jesus says you should count it a great honor. Listen to his words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you. And they persecute you, and they utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And what does he say? Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's amazing because Stephen says to this council, he goes, let me tell you history. Let me remind you, you always persecute those sent by God. You always persecute those that God raises up. You did it to Jesus You killed the long-awaited Messiah And as he says this He is one of those sent by God Who himself is persecuted And his life is taken I think we need to change our perspective a little bit though, church Because we're seeing a greater level of persecution in this country And I, I think it only seems to increase and, and you can be like, God, that's not fair, right? I'm, I'm living for you, I'm, I'm standing up for you, I'm, I'm doing what's right, and yet all this stuff is coming against me. We need to understand that we are blessed when we are persecuted for living rightly. And, and hear me, I know that isn't the way the world thinks, but most of what Jesus teaches is different from the way the world thinks, right? Right? Remember just a few verses earlier, Stephen had said there was was probably a a prophet, there, there there was never a prophet that their ancestors did not persecute and kill. And so even as he's put to death, Stephen realizes this, man, I'm in some great company. I'm in some great company. The saying is true, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And this was never more true than with the blood of the first martyr Stephen this This idea for him that that the the Holy Spirit gives him in that sense I, I think a crown of glory. Stephen lived a relatively short life, but he fully accomplished his purpose stephen was was the turning point, and eventually the cause of of the gnawing questions of Saul of Tarsus, right, that that only the Lord could answer, and realizing that, that we could be so honored to die for the one who died for us should cause us to rejoice and be glad. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, is a verse you probably know well. It says, and they have conquered, or they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. You know that. But you can't miss the fact that the verse goes on to say this. For they love not their lives even unto death. What does that mean, Pastor? They love their lives even unto death. They love not their lives even unto death. i got to tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we seek out death. Nor does it mean that we think, man, I can gain some type of merit for dying for Jesus. However, we need to understand that it is simply an honor to put Jesus first, even above something so dear to us as our own lives. Loving not our lives, even unto death, does not mean that we have to die as martyrs. That that may not be our fate, it may be. However, dying daily should be the normal Christian pattern to life. As we watch the baptisms this morning, We know that it is symbolic of death in a watery grave right we we die to the old nature that we might live unto God we die to selfishness so that we can show the unconditional love of God and living like this living in that way where we die daily it seems like foolishness but I want to tell you I want to tell you it's actually it's actually living it seems costly but we are repaid for living like this. Stephen could give his life as the first Christian martyr because he gave his life daily, he died daily. And church, we too must die daily if we're gonna allow the life of Christ to live through us. If we don't live like this, where we say, God, I surrender everything to you, even my very breath, I surrender everything to you. If we don't live like this, We will stifle his life through us. But when we do, we live in him, and that is real life. Stand with me today. As we reflect on the life of Stephen today, I told you last week he's an example for us. And again, you may say, Pastor, that's not the kind of example. I don't want to follow that example. But when we can surrender completely to him, I want to tell you, like Stephen, the glory of God will shine in our lives. The glory of God will shine through our faces. So many around us only look at temporary things, temporal things, material things. And church, we can fall into that that trap of saying, if I had that thing, that's living. But all of those things are only short-lived pleasures. Some would say that the Christian life is boring, but Stephen understood, and so should we, that it is eternal pleasure at God's right hand heads bowed around this room in this moment I want you as you think on the response of Stephen in this moment I want you to ask the Holy Spirit what he would have you to do when persecution comes your way when those speak wrongly against you what what are you going to do you see it's too late in that moment to decide okay today I'm going to lay down my rights today I'm going to die you got to decide now I'm going to lay down my rights, and I'm going to trust Jesus. I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit to to be my defense. If that's your desire today, just say, God, I surrender it all to you. (laughs) I surrender it all to you, even my very breath. Lord God, this life that you've given to me, Lord God, it's yours. Amen. Let that be your prayer as we close today.